You're listening to the preaching ministry of Redemption Bible Church in New Braunfels, Texas, where we are proclaiming the authority of God's Word without apology. We pray that this message will be a blessing to you as you seek to worship Christ, walk with Christ, and work for Christ, all to the glory of God. For more information about our church, please visit redemption.bible. Thanks for listening, and we hope to see you soon at one of our upcoming worship services. Please open your copy of God's Word to Galatians 5, 1 through 5. Galatians 5, 1 through, uh, 1 through 15, sorry. Uh, 1 through 15. And if you need a copy of God's Word, the ushers are available to get that to you, as well as sermon notes so that you can follow along and take notes if you so desire. Uh, so just raise your hand if you need a Bible or sermon notes. We're going to be in Galatians 5, 1 through 15, and I want to give you a little background on the church of Galatia. It wasn't just one singular church. It was actually a group of churches that, that Paul ministered to. So it was an area uh, that Paul and his team went and served and preached the gospel to. And so we, have, we see churches in the Galatian area uh, known as Antioch of Pisidia, Iconium, Lystra, and Derbe. And see, these were the Gentile churches. Uh, these were not made up of, uh, churches were not made up of Jews, and so they came to faith in Jesus, believing in the sacrifice of his life on the cross for their sin, and that he rose again. They believed in that only. But then, uh, there were some who came to faith as well, who were of the religious sect, the Pharisees, that felt that as they believed in Jesus, they still needed to do something more to earn God's favor. And so they imposed laws from the law of Moses in the Old Testament upon those new believers, those Gentile believers, and saying, no, it's Jesus plus circumcision. And circumcision is not a pretty thing by any means. It's the cutting off of the foreskin of every male member in the Jewish household, not just the Jews, but also their servants. We see that back in the Old Testament, that this was required, and it was an act, a physical representation of their covenant with God, a holy God. It set them apart from the rest of the other nations as God's people. And this is something that some of these people clung to and said that it was necessary to be in favor with God. But Paul and Barnabas, after they had communicated the gospel and their team had preached the good news of Jesus to, these, to this area and these churches in the Galatia area, they went back to the city of Jerusalem because they were hearing that this was happening and they go back to Jerusalem. They meet with the elders, the, the other church leaders there in Jerusalem. They have a council. And they call everybody together and they say, okay, what is the gospel? What is, it, what is necessary to come to faith in Jesus? Is it grace alone through faith in Jesus? Or is it grace plus parts of the law, specifically circumcision? And they held this council, they talked through it, they discussed it, and Paul made the argument that, brothers, we, we've never, our fathers couldn't even bear this burden, let alone us. And so do we truly believe that this is a free gift 
of God through Jesus, that we've, been, that we've received redemption from our sins, forgiveness, and they agreed. They all agreed that, yes, this is what we believe, that circumcision is not necessary, that the law is not necessary, that while parts of it are good and help us to walk in obedience, they're not necessary for salvation in Christ. So they took this a letter, not this particular letter that we're reading today, but another letter. They took it and went and started proclaiming this good news to all of the churches in Galatia. And sharing this news, these churches rejoiced greatly. They rejoiced because they, were, they, they knew they had found freedom, true freedom in Christ, without having to earn favor with God on their own. Because that's really what the law does. The law identifies for us that we cannot find favor with God. We can't fully bear the weight of that. And we'll talk about what that looks like in a moment. But we're, I titled our message today, Defending Freedom. Because as we see in our passage, the churches in Galatia were in danger of losing their freedom. Just as we here today experience freedoms, and we're getting ready to celebrate Independence Day in a couple days, we still have to this day, even though a couple hundred years ago we gained our freedom, we still have to today protect and defend that freedom. It's the same for our spiritual walk and our faith in Christ. We need to defend it. We need to maintain it. And we're going to take a look at what that means today. And if you walk out of here today, there's one thing that I want you to gain. One thing. That I don't want you to miss, and this is this. It is the priority of every believer, every follower of Jesus, to maintain and protect the gift of freedom given through Jesus Christ. This is our duty. We have a duty to this, a, a priority in our walk with Christ to, to maintain and protect this gift of freedom that he has given us. So without further ado, let's take a look at the passage Galatians 5, 1 through 15, read with me. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts, circumc accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed. From Christ, you who would be justified by the law, you have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion is not from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view, and the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. But if I, brothers, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. I wish that those who unsettle you 
would emasculate themselves. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. This is God's word for God's people. And today we're going to look at this passage in light of defending freedom. There are four traits that Paul wants us to learn from this passage. Four traits of a believer who maintains and protects the freedom that's been given through Jesus. The first trait we see in in verse 1 is rise up for freedom. We see it very clearly as we read, For freedom Christ has set us free. Meaning the purpose that Jesus has set you free is for freedom, to express that freedom. And he says, Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. A yoke of slavery meaning slavery to sin, but more specifically, slavery to the law. The law was given to the Jews, the, God's people, so that they could walk in a manner that was righteous. But what they very quickly and every day figured out was that they couldn't fully fulfill all of the law, not on their own strength. They were constantly failing at it. And really, that was part of the reason God gave the law, was so that they could see that they needed someone outside of themselves, something outside of themselves to save them, to make them righteous because they couldn't do it in their own power. But this weight, this yoke of slavery was a heavy burden, a heavy burden to bear, one that they could not release themselves from. They needed somebody else to break those chains, to lighten their load. And his name was Jesus. For freedom, Christ has set us free. And Paul says, stand firm, therefore. Because of this reason that Christ has set you free, stand firm. It's a little challenging. You might find it difficult to defend, to protect, to even maintain freedom if you're in a posture of laziness or even a posture of sitting down. Right now, I would have great difficulty defending anything if someone were to come at me because they'd have the advantage. They're up on their feet. This is what Paul is saying. Stand firm. We need to rise up. Rise up, brothers and sisters. Rise up for freedom. Maintain and protect the freedom that Christ has given you. You may be found today still in bondage. Maybe your chains of slavery to sin haven't been broken yet. That you feel you've got to somehow measure up to something so that God is pleased with you, so that he can give you his favor. But there's nothing you can do. And that weight keeps bearing down on you. And you're feeling it right now as you sit here. May today be the day that your chains to sin are broken. And I would encourage you to listen in, to hear what God has to say to you. 
from his word about how that can happen. For those of you who have been set free, you're no longer a slave to the law, a slave to the sin, I would encourage you to consider what are you a slave to? Because while you have been set free, it's easy for us, easy for us to, as followers of Jesus to, to still fall back into that trap, that snare, that those chains of thinking that we have to do something more for God to be pleased with us. But there's nothing more that we can do than place our believing faith in Jesus. And this is where we come to our second trait of a believer who maintains and protects freedom. They will trust the source of their freedom. That is faith. Faith that is in the grace of Jesus. Let's take a look at verse 2. Paul says, I say to you that, you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. It means if you choose the law, whether self-imposed or imposed upon you, Christ's sacrifice is, is of no advantage. It means nothing. You've made his sacrifice worthless. Verse 3, I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. If you choose to go back that route, you might as well go the whole way and strive in that way to be righteous. And again, strive. And it will be endless striving, never measuring up under a weight that is unbearable. He takes it a step farther and even parallels it to this act of circumcision where he says, you are severed from Christ. Very sharp words, and no pun intended, severed from Christ. You who would be justified by the law. Justified meaning made righteous. The way I remember the definition of justified is, it's just as if I'd never sinned. This is what he's saying, that if you choose to follow the law, or cling to something that is maybe your conviction and your preference over the grace of Jesus, then you're severed from Christ. Seeking to be justified by the law, but the, the truth about the law is no one can be justified in the law. You'll never find that the law justifies you as if you've never sinned. It further reveals your sin. And he says, you have fallen away from grace. This is the source of our freedom. Grace, the grace of Jesus that we place our faith in. Grace, a free gift from God. A gift that we didn't deserve. That we did nothing to earn. And it's freeing that there's nothing more we need to do to gain favor with God than to place our faith in Jesus. He goes on, For through the Spirit, by faith, again, this 
grace by faith in Jesus, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything. Meaning, as if any of them are listening to this message from Paul, and they're thinking, okay, well, I'm not circumcised, so I'm good there. I'm, I'm one step above. He's like, no, we're going to level the playing field. Nobody in this room can count any of their works, whether they've done something or not done something, as righteousness before God. It counts for nothing, but only faith working through love. And this righteousness that we receive, this hope of righteousness that we're eagerly awaiting, we're robed in Christ's righteousness when we come to faith in Him, but it's not fully realized yet, right? We still struggle with our inner sin nature. He's saying we eagerly, by faith, wait for this hope of righteousness that one day we'll experience it fully, unhindered, unashamed. Because that's what the law does for us right now. It makes us feel shame. It's, it enslaves us to our sin, to our laws, our convictions turned into laws, but only faith working through the love of God, through Jesus, dying on the cross for our sin, rising again three days later, only that provides freedom from all that we may be enslaved to, all the shame, all the fear, because that's what, when we look at, when we look at our faith by works, that's what really it comes down to. It's fear. Fear that we don't do enough, that we're not doing enough, that we don't do more, that we're not good enough. And we seek to try to measure up in some way to earn God's favor. If you're having trouble figuring out what that looks like in your life, consider your horizontal relationships. Because our horizontal relationships are simply a mirror image of our vertical relationship with God. And so if you look at your horizontal relationships and you can see areas where you're trying to gain favor, trying to be good enough, put on a front even, to make people think that you're better than you are rather than just embracing the fact that we're sinners saved by grace, then there's a good chance you're interacting with God in the same way because that's where it starts. Our relationship with God translates to then how we interact with others. So I challenge you to consider it from that perspective. What are you doing what are you doing that is trying to seek your own favor before God and before man? You see, we can't be justified by the law and by grace. It's either one or the other. It can't be both. And so we'll see later in the passage that just a little bit of law corrupts the whole thing. 
Righteousness through faith in Jesus is God-glorifying because it speaks of the one who granted us freedom rather than righteousness under the law being self-glorification. That's really all it is. Faith in Jesus Christ alone, not faith in works. Not in fear of doing enough or being enough because God speaks to us as his children. If you've placed your faith in Jesus, he speaks to us as his children and says, child, you don't need to be good enough. You don't need to do enough. My son was enough for you. And praise God that he wasn't just enough. He was more than enough, rising from the dead three days later to have victory over death and sin. This is the hope of righteousness. This is the source of our freedom that we should be placing our trust in. Trust in that alone, not in your own works, not in your own strength or might, not in your own striving. It would be similar to uh, the fact that I've just had ACL surgery. They replaced my ACL. They repaired my meniscus, so I can't put weight on it for six weeks post-surgery. And I'm using this brace to keep it in a locked position. I'm using crutches to get around. And it would be like I, I get it to the end of all that therapy and the healing process. And I trust that the surgeon did excellent work. I agree that, that he did that work in an excellent manner. I, I trust that it's all been healed and repaired. And I basically have a new knee. But then I decide, you know what? I don't know if I fully trust that it's okay to take this brace off and to move around without crutches. It would be like I take that, that, this brace, this brace and put it right back on. You know, I'm going to trust in this brace more than the surgeon's skilled hands and his wisdom. Even though it produced the results that I wanted, I'm going to use my crutches uh, just, to, just to be safe. But then that limits my ability. It limits my ability and mobility to get around. It limits what I can do and where I can go. It's similar in the way that we attach any type of law or fear that we need to do more to the gospel. It can't be Jesus plus anything. It's Jesus only. Because if we attach anything to it, anything to the gospel of Jesus, then really it's going to limit our ability to serve him. It's going to limit our ability to communicate what he's done for us. The love that we and grace that we have experienced. So if you are here today and you're like me where you recognize there's areas in your life that you try to measure up with, with people around you, 
and that reflects that how you try to measure up with God, and I would encourage you to, to repent of that today. Repent of your disbelief, your distrust in what Jesus has done for you. And place your trust in the source of freedom, the grace that has been offered to you by faith in Jesus. Because if you don't start there with the source, trusting the source, then you're going to be susceptible to all sorts of threats to your freedom. That brings us to our third trait of a believer who maintains and protects freedom. They will avoid the threats to their freedom. They'll avoid the threats. And this could be threats inside the church or outside the church. And typically we we think about the threats of worldly persuasion outside of these four walls, right? It's easy to think about that. It's all talking about self. Every message you see, every advertisement, every billboard, everything on social media, it's all about self-glorification. You deserve this. We get donuts sometimes for our men's Bible study on Saturday mornings. And it says on the box, you deserve a donut. (laughs) You know what? Sometimes I feel like, yeah, I do deserve a donut. But it starts out small like that. It's subtle. The little lie that says we deserve something or it's all about us. Worldly persuasion is so... So sneaky. It meets, it meets our desire to be worthy of something. You see, Satan knows. He knows how to capture our hearts. He knows that we have a desire to be found worthy, to be found good enough. But the greatest danger isn't so much out there, outside these four walls. It's inside here. That's what was taking place in in these churches in Galatia. It was their own brothers and sisters in Christ who were coming alongside and saying, no, we, we need to do this too because the grace of Jesus isn't enough. We need to act or look in a certain way that shows we're set apart. And while that is true, as we walk in obedience to Christ, and lovingly serve him, attaching the things that we think will help us get there by acting a certain way or dressing a certain way will not help. It only leads us further astray. Let's look at that portion. It says, you were running well in verse 7. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? See, that's one way that we can avoid a threat, the threats to our freedom is by obeying the truth. And what is the truth other than God's word? If you're not spending time daily in intentionally seeking God's face in his word, then you're going to have a really hard time avoiding the threats. This is where we maintain our freedom by spending time in God's word knowing what it says about who he is, knowing what it says about what he's done for us, 
what Jesus has done for us on the cross, granting us a free gift of grace and knowing who we are as a result of that. Holy, beloved, chosen by God to be his sons and daughters. This is where we maintain by spending time in God's word. Because if we don't avoid the threats, if we don't saturate our minds with this word, then it's going to be easy to accept any little bit of lie about how we need to measure up. You see, the little, it says a little leaven leavens the whole lump. It doesn't take much leaven to make the dough rise. It takes just a little bit. It's the same thing when we, when we accept our fears, when we try to measure up and be good enough, it corrupts the rest of the gospel. But there's hope. Because we don't have just God's word, we have one another. And it's helpful that if we're all spending time in God's word, when one of us starts to run slower or stumble a little bit, we can help pick each other up. That's why he uses this imagery, you were running well. Think about that. When someone's running in a race and you're there to help cheer them on, what are you saying as they get closer to the end? Keep going. You can do it. I know you can. This is what Paul says. This is what he's doing. He says, you were running well. Someone's hindered you, so you're stumbling a little bit. But verse 10, I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view. And the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. He says, you can do it. I'm confident that you're, you're going to turn back and rest. No more striving, but rest in the grace of God through faith in Jesus. So we have God's word to help us avoid the threats to our freedom. We have each other to help us avoid the threats to our freedom. And it takes a collective effort. Because worldly persuasion can happen, again, like I said, in here, in these four walls and outside them. So we need each other. But probably the greatest threat to our freedom is our own hearts and minds. As we've been talking about, we, we feel like we need to measure up. We need to, we need to gain some advantage so that God is pleased with us. I was reminded of how susceptible we are when my, one of my sons came up to me this week and the evidence of God's changing power, the Holy Spirit at work in his life is very evident. And I'm grateful for that. Because it made, made it much easier to have the following conversation when he comes to me and he says, Dad, I'm really scared. I'm afraid. And so I asked him what he's afraid of. And he said, I'm afraid I'm not doing enough for God. He's 11 years old. Nobody taught him that. I haven't taught him that. 
at least by God's grace, I don't think I have. He's not hearing that at church. This is just something that's in his heart, in his own mind, in his own thoughts. And it's something that we all struggle with on a daily basis. And so we need each other to come alongside, to help us to run well, to not forget the source of our freedom, to help us avoid the threats to our freedom. Because the truth of God's word helps to realign our thinking. The people of God help us to realign our thinking, to guard us from the dangers of losing our freedom or at least behaving in that way. We don't run alone, brothers and sisters. We don't run alone. We have great, uh, great cause to celebrate that fact. But then there's also this. Paul calls them out. He says in verse 12, I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. This is really harsh language. But because it's a real threat, we need to call out those threats when we see them. Don't be passive. Rise up. Stand firm. Be ready to call out the threats to our freedom in Christ. You see, Paul was giving a word picture there that these people had, had decided to choose the law to go along with Christ. But as we've talked about, you, it can't be both. And he said, so if, you choose, if you've chosen the law, you might as well go the whole way. Cut it all off. It's not a pretty picture. But that's what we do to ourselves when we choose law over grace. As we'll see in even the, the coming uh, verses. You see, we need one another to, to help realign our thinking, to encourage us in our walk, to shout encouragement when we need it, when we're stumbling, when we're slowing down, so that we can fulfill our purpose which is our fourth trait of maintaining and protecting freedom. A believer will fulfill the purpose of freedom, the purpose of loving service. We see this in our text, verse 13, for you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. This is the purpose of our freedom. Paul understands that in communicating this message of freedom in Christ, there's a danger that some within these churches, even some within this church here at Redemption, we could be inclined to say, well, you know what? I have freedom in Christ. Because of that, I can go and I can do this thing over here that satisfies my own flesh because I'll just ask God to forgive me, and he'll, he'll forgive me. I know he will. He's done it time and time again. So I can live, not in liberty, but with license. See, freedom is liberty. 
If we go too far to take advantage of that liberty, it becomes license where we feel like we can do whatever we want. And I'll just ask God to forgive me later. And it'll be fine. But true freedom is loving service. You see, self-service is indulgence. Indulgence in self. It's self-gratification. It's self-glorification. But true freedom glorifies God as we serve, lovingly serve one another. We see Paul, he says in verse 14, for the whole law is fulfilled in one word. So he says, okay, you want to talk about law, let's talk about law. If you want to fulfill the law, this is how you do it. It's not through circumcision. It's not through any other means or act. It's through you loving your neighbor as yourself. That's what we must do. Sacrificially love one another by serving one another, meeting one another's needs, coming alongside a brother or sister when they need help. being the hands and feet of Jesus to those around us, not just in our body, in, within the body of Christ, but, but also outside of it, in the community. Being the hands and feet of Jesus that the world may know, that they may see there's something different. There's, there's freedom among these people. We can see it. Freedom that's only found in one name, Jesus. And then he says, closing out this thought in verse 15, but if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. This is what happens when we seek to gratify ourselves, when we take our freedom and turn it into license. It destroys the body of Christ. It destroys the fellowship that we have with one another. Even attributing law to this gospel of grace will destroy this body of believers because now we start to critique one another based on what our convictions are about how we should live or act or look. He says, don't, don't do that. If you bite or devour one another, it will consume you. You will consume each other. There'll be nothing left but utter destruction. So have you been called by Jesus today? Have you been called? Have you been called to freedom? If so, serve him. Find a place to serve within this body here at Redemption. Find a place to serve and don't allow that to be to become part of your law. If it becomes part of your law, then you've it's probably likely you've forgotten that to do it in love for your brother and your sister. Out of love for a God who loved you first. So serve him. But maybe Jesus is calling you free, to freedom today to break those chains.
of slavery. The way that that is found is through believing faith in Jesus, that he is who he says he is, and that he has done what he has said he's done. He died on the cross for your sin. He lived a sinless and perfect life, the only one who fulfilled the whole law. He did that and then died on the cross undeservingly because no one who lives a perfect, sinless life should ever, should ever have to die. But we deserve that because we have sinned against him and against God. But he's taken that penalty for us to give us this free gift. Believe in Jesus today and you will find freedom. If that's you, please come to, to talk with me afterwards or one of the other pastors here at Redemption. They would love, we would love to have the, the honor of helping you find freedom today, freedom in Christ. This Independence Day, as you celebrate in a couple days, as you go out and you watch fireworks, celebrate the freedoms that you have in this country. But more than that, every day, celebrate the, the freedom that you have been given through faith in Jesus. By maintaining and protecting that freedom through rising up, through trusting the source of your freedom found in grace, the grace of Jesus, by avoiding the threats and caring for one another, encouraging one another to keep persevering even when it's hard, even when it feels like you need to do more. Rest in God's grace and allow others to encourage you in that way. And then finally, Fulfill your purpose through loving service towards one another. Celebrate the freedoms you've been given in Christ by doing these four things. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the blessing of your grace, your unmerited favor that is found through the gift, the sacrifice of Jesus' life on the cross for our sin. Thank you that you have made it available to every person on this earth. That everyone is welcome into your family as a son and daughter if they simply place their believing faith in Jesus as the one who paid the price for their sin, who rose again three days later, and who is today preparing for us to be with him in eternity. Thank you for this great gift. Thank you that we have no longer a need to measure up according to the law. That Jesus is more than enough where we are far, far away from his measure. We fall far short. We thank you for Jesus. And we give you praise and celebrate this freedom that you've given us as we worship you now in his holy, precious name. Amen. <laughs>